The material shared within this podcast is based on the personal experiences and learnings of the presenter. Coloplast has paid the presenter for sharing this information. Nothing within this podcast is intended to be used as medical advice and or used to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Welcome to the Coloplast Professional Bowel and Bladder Matters Podcast, where we explore various important topics related to ostomies and continence. I am your host, Rachel McDonald. I'm a registered nurse and clinical consultant with Coloplast. Dr. Tamara Lewis is a private practice urologist at Comprehensive Urologic Care in the Northwest suburbs of Chicago. Dr. Lewis received her BA in biology from Luther College in 1994, and she obtained her medical doctorate in 1999 from the University of Iowa College of Medicine. In 2005, Dr. Lewis completed her surgical and urology residencies at the University of Nebraska, and then went on to complete a fellowship in female urology and voiding dysfunction at Metro Urology in Minneapolis, St. Paul, Minnesota. She was among the first group of urologists to receive board certifications in female pelvic medicine and reconstructive surgery. Dr. Lewis's professional interests include management of incontinence, voiding dysfunction, bladder prolapse, and urinary tract infections. She is a fellow of the American College of Surgeons, member of the American Urological Association, the Society of Urodynamics, Female Pelvic Medicine and Urogenital Reconstruction, the Society of Women in Urology, and the Large Urology Group Practice Association. She is past president of the Chicago Urologic Society. Dr. Lewis has been an invited speaker or presenter for numerous events on topics including overactive bladder, hematuria, contemporary management of urinary tract infections, and women in urology. To set the foundation for our discussion today, could you please explain the term urinary incontinence? So urinary incontinence is the involuntary leakage of urine. I know that you had shared with us earlier, there's different types of incontinence. Could you speak to that um, and maybe specifically to the female population? I absolutely can. Um, usually we talk about incontinence, there's stress incontinence, and there's overactive bladder, which can also be referred to as urge incontinence. I'll expand on those in just a second. Um, there's also mixed incontinence, which is a combination of the two conditions, and overflow incontinence, which is more a condition that you want to rule out. So I'll go through those in a little bit of detail. Stress, urin stress urinary incontinence is leakage associated with coughing, laughing activity. Sometimes in the older population, it can be something as simple as I'm sitting for a while and I stand up and a little bit of urine leaks out. So change in position can also trigger stress incontinence. Uh, that's more of a mechanical issue, which plays into how we treat it. Next type would be overactive bladder or urge incontinence. So that's urgency, frequency. I can't make it to the bathroom in time. I get to the bathroom. I can't get my pants down before I go. Um, we call it key and door incontinence. You're going to the house and the first step is the bathroom. You're pulling your car into the garage. And the first thing that you have to do is run into the bathroom. There can be leakage associated with that. Then we call it incontinence. If there's no leakage, we just call it overactive bladder. Now, if somebody has both stress incontinence and overactive bladder urge incontinence, a lot of times we'll refer to that as mixed incontinence. And that's very common. A lot of women will have a little bit of both. Sometimes the bother of the two types, one may bother them more than the other, and that, that helps us, us focus. 
Um, one thing that you always want to be cognizant of is overflow incontinence. What is overflow incontinence? That's incontinence related to not emptying the bladder. And that's more a condition that you want to rule out so that you can treat the underlying condition. So you spoke to these different types of incontinence. What evaluation tools do you utilize for that diagnosis? That's a great question. So sometimes it's very easy for a patient to tell me what type of incontinence they have. Sometimes it's very hard for them to put into words. So I usually start when a patient comes into the office to have them fill out a bladder survey. I use a couple that are that are commonly available. Um, one that I use is called the UDI-6 or the urogenital distress inventory. And what that does is that asks some questions that helps to stratify stress incontinence versus urge incontinence. For example, my assistants, when they look at the survey, they can pretty clearly tell me what the patient is coming in for. So it's getting a, a patient to think about what is causing my incontinence. And then that makes our discussion a little bit easier. So I think surveys are helpful. Um, I also use an incontinence impact questionnaire, and that helps me to understand what is the bother score of the incontinence on the patient's quality of life? Because that's going to be important with what we decide to do about it. Um, so we start out with the survey. Um, history is very important. So, you know, what types of things trigger the incontinence? When did it start? What have they done so far? Surgeries, medications. So trying to get an idea of, of what the history of it too. I also want to understand um, a lot about people's habits related to fluid, diet, bowels, bladder habits, uh, because those are going to have a big impact on incontinence as well. So I, so I have a lot of key history questions that I go through with, uh, with uh, patients. Examination. Um, and it's not a, a, a full examination. It's a very limited evaluation to look for some things that I feel are important to incontinence. Um, I look to see what other surgeries they've had, whether, what other surgical scars. I do an external exam. Does somebody have some rashes or anything that would indicate that maybe the degree of incontinence is different than what they're telling me? We do a vaginal exam where I look to see, has the bladder fallen? I check to see if someone's emptying the bladder, either with a scan or with a catheter. Um, we look to see what the tissue health is like. Um, and I also check to see what their muscle strength and awareness of their muscles are like, because that's going to dictate some of the things that I would offer to the patient. Does somebody leak during the exam? That's an important thing to, to evaluate as well. And then from there, uh, one of my other initial um, strategies um, is to have the patients do a voiding diary or an, a frequency um, volume diary. And that helps to define some of the issues related to incontinence. Wonderful. Um, you mentioned this evaluation process. What specific tools do you utilize for that evaluation? So we already talked about the importance of the history and a physical exam specific to incontinence. The voiding diary a lot of times is something that I'll give to the patients and have them bring back on their second visit because they'll need some time to do that correctly. One of the key things that I start off with, especially if I identify that there are some areas of muscle weakness, um, I utilize uh, physical therapy and behavioral therapy. So um, sending a female to a physical therapist to identify where her pelvic floor muscles are and how to use those both to hold the urine and to release the urine. Um, I will tell you there are a lot of women doing Kegels out there and they're certainly squeezing something, but maybe not the something that's actually going to help them with bladder control. So I think showing the patients what they're doing and then getting them in touch with, the, with a specialist who can help them 
to find their muscles and to use them appropriately. And in a properly motivated patient, that may be all a patient needs to help with their incontinence. So I think it's an important thing to start off with. It may not be what patients want to hear when they first come in. Oh, I came to see you and and you're going to send me to learn some exercises. It's much, much, much more than that. Um, I like to tell patients I want to teach you how to use what you have first before I start talking about pills and procedures and, and things beyond that. We may do some diagnostic testing to understand the incontinence lab better. Um, sometimes taking a look in the bladder if there are irritated, voiding symptoms, if I want to rule out things like tumors or stones or things like that. Um, I may use functional testing like urodynamics, um, but only if I'm going to answer a question. If I can tell what the problem is from a history and an exam, that may be enough to start talking about treatment options for that patient. So I use, I use diagnostic tools when I think they're going to help answer a question that's important in the treatment. What are some of the common reasons females with urinary incontinence are referred to your office? Well, the most common reason is that they're bothered by this condition. Um, some may self-refer, some may be referred in by their gynecologist or their primary doctor to see a specialist to, to for evaluation and, and to discuss options. Um, sometimes it's a family member um, bringing a patient in, whether it's a son or daughter bringing in their mother uh, for evaluation, or whether it's a parent um, bringing in a child or an adolescent who's uh, dealing with incontinence. What are some of the emotional challenges these patients face when dealing with urinary incontinence? Well, I think there's a stigma um, that this is a cleanliness or a hygiene issue, and patients are concerned about odor related to incontinence and potentially wearing pads. Um, and that can have a significant impact on a woman's quality of life. It affects her social interactions, the places that she wants to go. Is there a bathroom available? Uh, it affects intimacy. Uh, with others too, if you're worried about leakage or, or odor or things like that. And, and those could be uh, big concerns and very distressing to a female. Thank you so much for our discussion today. In closing, um, what are some key things that should be considered when evaluating a female who presents with urinary incontinence? Well, I think it's important to understand that not all incontinence is the same. And the evaluation as to the type and contributing factors to incontinence are key in coming up with some solutions. But probably the most important thing is to, to seek help. Um, I think it's important for women to understand that these issues are very common. Incontinence is common, but it's not normal and you don't have to live with it. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Bowel and Bladder Matters podcast, part of Coloplast Professional, where we believe clinician education related to ostomies and continence matters. For more educational resources from Coloplast, visit us at coloplast.us/professional.